0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: You know, whenever you set aside God's Word, which instructs us on how to live together in society, you will ultimately end up with oppression and injustice. It's the way the human heart goes.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Amos chapters 1 through 5. Now here's Pastor Brian.
1: All right, we are in Amos. So the book of Amos is... Characterized by beautiness of expression, or a beauty of expression, and loftiness of thought. Some really lofty thoughts communicated here in this little prophetic book. It contains some utterly fascinating statements about nature that actually would not be known until modern times. This is one of the amazing things about the Bible. You know, just sort of randomly, the Bible will make statements about things in nature or scientific types of ideas that would not be known to the general public for centuries. And the thing that is so important to recognize about that is it really is, it's a fingerprint of God on the scripture, because of course, God knows all things. And just every now and again, he just breaks through with some information that no human beings could know at the time. And and there's a couple of places that we'll get to in Amos where that very thing happens. And it's really, really fascinating. So the book is addressed to the leaders of the Northern kingdom of Israel in the height of their power. So look at the first verse, the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel. Two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. Now, there's two Jeroboams in the history of the northern kingdom. The first Jeroboam is the one who succeeded Solomon and was the one who God appointed when the kingdom split Solomon's son Rehoboam would take following in his father's steps, he would become the king over the southern kingdom of judah and and rehoboam God appointed him to be the king over the the northern kingdom, the ten tribes and so he's Jeroboam the first. This is Jeroboam the second, who comes many years later but he has a long and prosperous reign. He reigns for 41 years. And this, like I said, this is the height of power for the Northern Kingdom. The period was one of great wealth, luxury, arrogance, security, oppression of the poor, moral decay, and worship that was external and formal, but not true worship from the heart. The main theme of Amos is justice and righteousness. So Amos is going to address over and over again the issues of injustice and unrighteousness in the kingdom. Its message God will not tolerate sins of social injustice, but will punish persistent wrongdoers. The key verse, and the key verse is along those lines, is found in chapter 5, verse 24. And it says this, perhaps you've heard this passage, let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. Many individuals and groups have appealed to this prophetic book in their struggle against discrimination and oppression. So this has been a kind of a go-to text for those who are battling for equality and things like that. Martin Luther King Jr. appealed to this verse in his famous I Have a Dream speech at the Washington Memorial in 1963. This was a a resounding passage that he communicated during that speech. Now, Amos is not mentioned outside of his book at all. So, you know, you find the other, many of the other prophets are referenced in many other passages, both in the Old and in the New Testament. The only place you find any mention of Amos is right here in his book. Interesting thing about Amos is he was not a priest, as was in the case with Many of the prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah being examples of that, or they, they at least were from the priestly families. He was not a priest, nor was he connected in any way to a prophet or to a prophetic ministry. According to his own testimony in the seventh chapter, verses 14 and 15, Amos was a farmer. He was a farmer and this is what he said. He said, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. So, just in a lot of ways an ordinary guy now expositors and theologians and people that have really analyzed amos they they marvel at the the sophistication in even uh, from a literary standpoint and even though amos was a farmer everyone agrees that he was uh, a very intelligent man, and and perhaps even uh, quite educated. Well, be that as it may, he begins his prophetic word with, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel Withers. Now, remember what it says here about Amos. He is from Tekoa. So, here's an interesting thing about Amos. Amos is from the southern kingdom of Judah, but his prophetic ministry is to the northern kingdom of Israel. And so, in in that seventh chapter that we just quoted from, when he states that he wasn't a prophet or the son of a prophet, he's actually responding to the authorities who are telling him, shut up, get out of here because you're not even from here. You have no business talking to us. Go back home to the South or we will kill you. That's what the authorities in the North were saying to him. So it's, it's an interesting thing. Most of the time, the prophet is prophesying to the group that they are you know, living amongst. But in this case, he is from Tekoa, which is an area about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. And so he begins in the first and uh, the second chapter. He says, this is what the Lord says. And then he's going to go on and pronounce a judgment on these surrounding nations, and then he's going to come to Judah and ultimately to Israel. And he uses this phrase over and over again. He says, for three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. So for three sins, even for four, I'm going to bring judgment. So question is, well, what what does that mean? Well, it could be Some people say if you add three and four, you get seven. And so it's just speaking of the fact that it's addressing the fullness of the sin in each of these places. And others have said something similar, but not by adding three and four, but just saying this is a way of speaking of the fact that sin has multiplied in these nations. So it's because of the multiplication of sin that God is going to judge Damascus and over in verse 6, Gaza, and in verse 9, Tyre, and in verse 11, Edom, and in verse 13, Ammon, and in verse 1 of chapter 2, Moab, and then in verse 4, Judah, and then finally, in verse 6, Israel. So the judgment is going to begin on the surrounding nations and will ultimately overtake Israel and Judah. The, the judgment that is spoken of will be the judgment that will come through the Assyrians. So Amos is prophesying at roughly the same time as Hosea. And so he's prophesying uh, about the, the middle 700s, 750 or so. And it would be 30 years later that the Assyrians would come and they would destroy Samaria, which was the capital, and they would lead Israel into captivity, never to return. So the northern kingdom is Israel. In 721 BC, the Assyrians take them captive, And unlike Judah, who 100 years later would be taken captive by Babylon into Babylon for 70 years and then return, the northern kingdom never returns. They're carried off permanently. Although some remained in the land, many were carried away. And the the Assyrians didn't only judge Israel and a partial sort of a judgment on Judah but they also were used by God to judge the surrounding nations that are mentioned here as well. So when you read through the list, God just addresses the the various sins that were prominent beginning here again in Damascus and then Gaza and Tyre and Edom and Ammon and Moab and, and so forth. So these are all of the nations that are in proximity to Israel, all of them are basically border nations. And so that whole area is going to come under the judgment of God through the instrumentation of the Assyrians. So let's pick up in verse 6, because the primary focus, as I said, is on Israel. So let's pick up in verse 6 of chapter 2. And this is where he specifically addresses the northern kingdom. So this is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. Here's what's going on. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. So a denial of justice, an oppression of the poor. These are the things that are happening. And and now remember, these are the people of God. These are the Israelites. These are the ones who were given that elaborate law by God through Moses that told them how to live righteously with one another, that told them how to care for the poor and the oppressed and the widow and and all of those things. But they have just completely tossed this to the side and they have become an oppressive society. And, you know, whenever you set aside God's word, which instructs us on how to live together in society, you will ultimately end up with oppression and injustice. It's the way the human heart goes. And what is happening in Israel at the time of Amos has been repeated over and over and over and over and over again, all throughout history, right to this very moment. In many places in the world, and right here in the good old USA, we've got the same issues that are going on. Now, he goes on to say, he describes further some of the things. Father and son use the same girl, and so profane my holy name. And this is probably a reference to taking a slave girl and then using her for sexual purposes, They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in a pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. And then the Lord says, yet I destroyed the Amorites before them, though they were tall as the cedars and strong as the oaks. So God's basically saying, I destroyed the Amorites for doing the things that you're doing. That's why they were wiped out. I destroyed their fruit above and their roots below. I brought you up out of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to give you the land of the Amorites. I also raised up prophets from among your children and Nazarites from among your youths. Is this not true, people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. Now then, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The swift will not escape, the strong will not muster their strength, and the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet-footed soldier will not get away. And the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest of warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. So remember, all of this is said to them in the height of their uh, prosperity and in the height of their military power. So they are uh, in a false security. They're like, Nothing's going to happen to us. We've got, we've got a, a great thing going. We've got a powerful military that's going to protect us from any foreign invasion. We're uh, impenetrable. That was their thinking. The Lord says, I'm going to crush you, and no one's going to escape. And, of course, that is indeed what happened when the Assyrians finally came. So he then goes on and he says, Hear this, people of Israel, the word the Lord has spoken against you, against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. And he says, This you only have I chosen, or you only have I known personally and intimately out of all the families of the earth, therefore. I will punish you for your sins. So the principle there is the one that we're we're familiar with. It's the principle of to whom much is given, much is required. With much privilege comes responsibility. And so because they had this unique, extraordinary, nothing like it among the nations relationship with God, and they turn their back on him the lord says i'm going to punish you and and it it's really the the father chastening the child so the lord is essentially saying i'm your father and you are my rebellious child and i am going to discipline you for that rebellion do two walk together or can two walk together unless they are agreed? So the problem is they're, they're not in agreement. They're, they're resisting. They're claiming to walk with God, but they're resisting doing his will. Does a lion roar in the thicket when it has no prey? Does it growl in its den when it has caught nothing? Does a bird swoop down? to a trap on the ground when no bait is there? Does a trap spring up from the ground if it has caught, not caught anything? When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. So Amos is here claiming um, as the prophet of God that God has revealed to him these things that are coming. Now, as is so often the case, when the prophets began to prophesy, there was no external evidence that any of this was going to happen. So if this is 76750 B.C., and the Assyrians finally come and conquer them in, uh, you know, 40, 30 to 40 years later. I mean, you know, just think of here we are right now. If if somebody stood up and started, you know, predicting that, you know, this nation was going to come and, and this was going to happen. And here we're living in prosperity and we're living in the height of luxury. And people are going to say, what are you talking about? That's a joke. That's never going to happen. That That was exactly what they were saying to Amos Where, where's the evidence? Amos is saying, the Lord has revealed it to his prophets. The evidence is that God has, has told us and you know th- this would be the case with almost every single prophet. They would be rejected and disbelieved by the people, but their words would come true. Each and every one of their words would come true. Now, surely the Lord does nothing without revealing it to his servants, the prophets. Some have taken this and claimed that we can accurately predict the future because, hey, I'm a, I'm a prophet. I'm a servant of the Lord. God's shown me uh, what's going to happen. And so they, they put out these prophetic words and they predict that at such and such a time, this kind of a thing is going to go on. Um, but we have seen that that never really ends well. There was a book that was called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988.
0: January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp. Choices that we make have lasting effects and we all live with regrets. But are you paralyzed by your past? Do you live in the dark shrouds of if-onlys? Does your past influence your present more than God's past, present, and future grace? Have you received and are living out the forgiveness that is yours because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Well, in his book, 40 Days of Grace, Paul David Tripp will take you deep into the grace of God. He will help you understand God's grace that exposes what you want to hide so he can forgive you and deliver you. You will get to know God's grace that welcomes you to live with a hope in the present because it will free you to leave your past behind. God's grace is essential for the Christian life. It is something you will never deserve but can always expect. If you need to experience the grace of God, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you,